Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. We are back after an international break that didn't totally suck for Scotland. McGinn and Tonic, as the headline read in the Metro paper. But if you're like some fans who can't stand international football, don't worry because we turn our attention back to all matters domestic. Is it the tightest title race in years? We'll top the return of Jack Ross to Scottish football and the Jags hitting the jackpot. Later on, we'll be checking in on the luckiest team in Scotland, and we don't mean Partick Thistle. I'm Andrew Slavin, and alongside me in the studio, he's from The Telegraph, and he makes his own luck. It's JJ Poole. Hello. Hello, JJ. And Hi. also joining us, European football journalist. He knows how to say lucky in Spanish. Kieran Canning, what is lucky in Spanish? Suerte. What? <laughs> what did you call me? <laughs> so, Scotland, they did all right. Don't International eat. break, two wins out of two. Everything's rosy. It was looking pretty bad at halftime though, wasn't I was it? Say, who uh, needs, who needs luck when you've got John McGinn? Six goals in three Scotland games for John McGinn now, JJ. Kieran, are we thinking that things are getting better? Or is it just a bit of redemption after the I, Kazakhstan I you were nightmare? Going to say, are, we, are we thinking Ballon d'Or? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, after a good Euros, once we've sauntered through the playoffs, probably make the semis. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, he'll be in contention this time next year. We're not that swerty. <laughs> Do you know, it's, it just has happened that we have uh, finished exactly where we should have done in the uh, in the table. Like finished third, yeah. beat teams we should have beaten. Obviously, there's a lot of work to do, but everyone expected that to be the case. Like it's going to be a long-term planning thing. John yeah. McGinn, something else though. Like maybe he is the one that is the the Gareth Bale for Scotland. But this is the thing, like. Steve Steve Clark's job in this whole process when he came in in the middle of this tournament was to just kind of calm things down a bit and just find a team and this was like the first time in a wee while I know since 2017 um, that we actually fielded this same squad back to back The problem I've got with this in terms of is this building momentum and playing the same team in, in two games in a row is you would hope Everyone will be fit. We obviously don't know like what state everyone will get to, to march in, right? But you would look at Andy Robertson definitely if fit. Probably Tierney playing at right back. Maybe McTominay in midfield, maybe Fraser in the front three. So there's a lot of, sort of constituent parts there that are gonna come into the team, you would think. And I think that was the, the missed opportunity and the controversy over the call offs for these two games was that although these two games in of themselves were pretty meaningless, it might help us a bit in terms of our seeding going forward to finish third in the group. It was more about could we get a team together to, to actually play in these two games mm-hmm. because you're, going to, you're not going to have any friendlies or any more opportunities before the playoffs come around in March. Yeah, and the same deficiencies are still there. Like You don't have a goalkeeper still. There's no goal scorer. It just it will take time. But as ever, like Scotland are clearly where they are. I mean, that's where they are. They're third in the group. We'll need to do far more going forward. And I don't know how quite how you get all those players in. Without you are right. There's still not a settled squad. I think I read today somewhere seven starting strikers in this competition and three goals out of them. But anyway, we look ahead to the Nations League playoff draw, which is on Friday. Um, Scotland will be at home to either Bulgaria, Hungary, Israel or Romania. We know about Israel because we finished above them in our Nations League group. We know Bulgaria are minced because they got beaten by England by an aggregate score of 10-0. They are uh, terrible. But if we were to get through there, we would play the winner of, of Norway or Serbia. And I think Hungary, they've beaten Wales. They're an alright team, aren't they? I think of, of the ones we could get, Romania are probably the hardest. And then, yeah, Hungary, and you would take either either Israel or, or Bulgaria. I don't know, being Scotland, we definitely can't get ahead of ourselves, but... You know, if you're going to qualify, you're going to need to win two games. And uh, I would say the bigger concern would be who we, we would play in the final if we did get through. Yeah. The Even if we did get through to the to the, the final, which is um, just one tie, isn't it? Yeah. Um, for these games. So, do we think we can beat Norway or Serbia? I don't think I don't think we can be that confident here. Well, Ser- Serbia have a great team, yeah. and we should absolutely do Scotland in Norway as well. Kind of the opposite of Scotland that they have. They have goal scorers, players like Josh King and um, Erling Haaland, and yeah, they've got good defenders. Familiar faces to Scotland, yeah, as well, yeah. Christopher Iyer back in there as well. Uh, Elianusi, they've got a, 
really good individual players. The team as a whole isn't great, but I think at this sort of level, as long as you've got a standard base and you've got good individuals, you can but, pick people uh, off. With the Haaland thing as well. Yeah. Now, I remember covering uh, Euro 2016, and it was, it was it was getting a bit boring because it seemed to be every game I went to, you would go to these press conferences and it would be a country would have one standout individual and they would be saying, we're more than this one standout individual. And the opposition would be like, oh, it's not just about this one standout individual. But then you go to the game and that player would make all the difference, whether it be it was Bale for Wales, Zlatan for Sweden, mm-hmm. Lewandowski for Poland. You know, all these teams that, that had okay teams, but just had one player that took them up and above their natural level. And I think Haaland's going to be that for Norway going forward. I'm sure, I'm sure Scott McKenna is looking forward to coming up against the top goal scorer in the Champions League. But that is, that's true of like international teams forever. I mean, like Georgie Hadji, you had him Stoichkov. going there. Stoichkov. Mm-hmm. Uh, like George Weah <laughs> there's all these players you just need one who's good and the rest need to build around them Maradona arguably you could say but I don't think Scotland should expect to beat uh, Norway or Serbia it would be really tough to get anything off I think it's going to be massive about this draw on Friday it's not just who we get in the semi-finals obviously there's just a draw for who gets home advantage yeah, for the final yeah, so right, if yeah. we play at home then I would give us an outside shot at it because one off game Hamden could be up for it Beaten plenty of giants there in the past. Yeah, one leg really helps. Yeah. It's knockout, yeah. basically. Whereas if we get drawn away, then it's You're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Partick Thistle are preparing to welcome sixth tier Pennycook Athletic in the third round of the Scottish Cup on Saturday. Thistle had some good news this week. Euro Millions winner Colin Weir completed his takeover of the Jags. He will then give his 55% shareholding to a fan group being developed based on the Well Society model at Motherwell, which should happen in early 2020. So to explain it all, we're joined now by Thistle fan and friend of the podcast, Matt Greer. Matt, first of all, the question a lot of people will be asking is what does Colin Weir get out of this? He buys the club and then he's given it away. Uh, the answer is not very much. Uh, interim board's been put in place while the sort of takeover goes through. He's one of the six directors on that interim board with one still to be named. And then after that, he's looking to gift uh, the 55% shares to uh, the fans. And after that, he doesn't really get, he doesn't get anything out of it. It's a very generous act from Colinwell. I mean, he's got a fair amount of money anyway, so it's I guess it's a, a worthy investment. He loves the club. Do you think it's a good idea to have football fans essentially in charge of their own club, given how fickle they can be? Uh, I, for a club our size, I do think it, it, sh- it should work. You look at Motherwell, they've obviously got a very successful model there, and it's not like they're just going to drag random fans off the street. They'll get the, <laughs> they'll get the people in with like, the sort of relevant experience, relevant qualifications, people who know what they're doing to run a business and the football operational side as well. So it, w- it won't be fans picking the team or fans running the, the finance books or anything like that. What's the general mood among the fans surrounding this issue? Is it, I mean, real hope and, and expectation? It's mostly positive. I say there's some relief in there as well. Uh, there's been rumours of that takeover for a few months since the summer. Uh, there was a boardroom coup, and there was talk about a consortium, the consortium of Barnsley coming in to take over. There's been sort of rumours of that. There's been a bit of unrest at Barnsley. I think we started off... Uh, a lot of the fans sort of thought that was be a, a positive option, but with all the unrest at Barnes, I think the manager after promotion, uh, some dodgy finances there. I think the fans are quite relieved that's not went through. So I think uh, with David Beattie coming in as a sort of he instigated the boardroom coup and came back as chairman. He's done well to sort of sort this for everybody, and I say most everyone mostly happy. When you say like mostly happy. What's the the bad parts? To me, it looks like it's the. The start of something really special. Like this could be the start of Park Thistle proper going going on. I, I agree with that. I personally, I can't see any bad parts. I think concern is how far can you take a club when it's fan owned? Is there a ceiling? Right. But again, you sort of look at Motherwell, whether they are in the league, the teams they're above in the league, they're above Hearts, they're above Hibs in the league, challenging Aberdeen for third, and uh, they they've probably got a few more fans than us. They sold a few players in the last year or two. That means their finances are sort of well under control. They've made money off players like Keith Regan down to Wigan. You've got to look at a club like that and think, why can't we do that? If we get more successful, if we get a successful team in the pitch, we should get more fans to the gate, get better scouts in to sort of seek players out. And with Colin Weir coming back in, 
I think the sort of word is that he's going to put money back into the Youth Academy, which he did for a few years, yeah. uh, which got his money for Liam Lindsay, got his money for Aidan Fitzpatrick. So hopefully if he's doing that, we'll get more money in for players that we develop ourselves as well. Back to the Premiership, and it was Hibs who made the headlines during the international break. They appointed former St Mirren and Sunderland manager Jack Ross, and his first game in charge at Easter Road is against Motherwell on Saturday. Ross will be looking to secure a first home win for Hibs since the opening day of the season. Ross has returned, guys. Are we delighted about this? You love Jack Ross, yeah. don't you? Jack Ross. You always I, I don't Jack know. He just seems there's something special about him. I don't know. I mean, Sunderland fans might disagree with me, but there you go. I think he turned out to be a very good appointment for Hibs. He's got to get us through a window of recruitment, I think. There's a few things that are quite clearly wrong with Hibs, with the recruitment they made already. But that's what I was going to say. That's the point. Is he going to have any money to recruit, given what they spent <laughs> in the summer? Well, I don't know, but I mean, there might be free transfers and loans. Maybe they could get someone in there or well, they've lo- already brought in Adam Bogdan yeah, he's been signed true, brought sorry. back to the club already talk of Lewis Morgan joining Jack Ross at a third club after uh, St Mirren and Sunderland well he needs to get games as well yeah, like, he's, he's a stupid move back the, to Celtic uh, such a silly thing to do way down the picking <laughs> order Heckenbottom's problems that he had at Hibs was they couldn't really work out a good starting 11 that was balanced uh, defensively sound and could attack he couldn't get the most out of his strikers his defence was getting done in there's a little stat I've seen on Twitter that uh, two Hibs midfielders are in the top seven most dribbled past midfielders this season. <laughs> uh, but I mean, you can take these stats as you, as you want them. But Stevie Mallon and uh, Josh Vela, who I mean, you can't play them as a two, but yet they are played as a two. So Jack Ross has got a lot of stuff to do. He's also, you know, he's got to call him Jack Ross. You can't call him Ross. It's Jack Ross. There was time. someone like that, and I kept on always saying yeah. his first and second name. I don't know. I couldn't help it. But Anyways, Jack Ross, it will be forever. I think Jack Ross will play a little 4 2 3 1. It'll be nice and steady to start with, but I think they'll get better and better, and I think long term it could be a good appointment. Do you think he will um, go with Christian Doidge, who obviously broke his Premiership duck with a hat-trick at St Johnston a fortnight ago? Do you think you were saying Heckingbottom couldn't get the best out of his strikers? Do you think Jack Ross... We'll get the best out of well, Doigey. The thing that seems pretty clear from the St. Johnson game was he played Doigey and Canberry together as a two, yeah. which was the thing that, well, certainly in that game, seems to have brought out the best in Doigey, but certainly when also Canberry's best form for Hibs, I was like, particularly the last six months of the season, they did really well under Lennon when they had him and McLaren playing together. Yeah, He's clearly one of those players that's better in a two, but it's, it's finding, because Hibs have got so many of when you're talking about they've been the most dribbled past in midfield, it's because they've got so many nice players, yeah. like quite good technically. Nice but boys like Scott Allen. Exactly. And Stevie <laughs> Mallon. the guy I had to kept on saying the first name. For uh, and then they've got all the of like wingers and stuff as well. That like It's fitting everyone try to find a, a balance between that's going to get these best players uh, into a system that isn't easy to beat as, a, as it has been so far. Well, think, I mean, how, what shape do you play? Because you play a diamond probably be the best way with a two or a back three. But I mean, I don't think they've really got two, four, four. Two, well, they don't. They don't really have. I'd say they don't really have fullbacks that are good enough to play a, a diamond and get up and down the wing and provide the, the attacking with the knee. And I'm not sure they've got wing backs who could do that either. The, the, the thing with Jack Ross at Sunderland was that his, you know, Jack Sunderland Ross. were very, yeah, no, uh, Sunderland were really hard to beat. But it was also a lot of draws. He couldn't really grind out wins at Sunderland. So he might actually make, you know, Hibernian a bit tougher at the back. Maybe he'll turn his nice guys into bad guys. I don't know. But um, look, we should talk Motherwell. They were 3-0 winners at Fur Park against Hibs back in August. Lost two of their first eight league matches of the season. But since then, they've lost three of their last five. Have the questions over Stephen Robinson's future been a bit of a distraction? I, I don't think so. I think that when you look at the fixtures, the three of the five they've lost are Aberdeen, Celtic, and Rangers. So <laughs> it's it shows. I mean, it's what get uh, him out. <laughs> Muddle have actually done very, very well in the fixtures that you would expect them to to do well. Declan Gallagher. We should talk about him. Um, first Motherwell player to feature in a competitive game for Scotland in 16 years. And I think he did quite well, to be fair. Stephen Pearson was the last uh, Motherwell player. Uh, I thought he was pretty rubbish. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, just disregard <laughs> Well, against, against Cyprus, I think he was poor. I think that doesn't, it didn't help that Scott McKenna was having one of those days. Me. <laughs> like, what is he playing? I think there's a big problem with Scott McKenna, right? So, this is a very specific thing about him. I know we're talking about Motherwell. But this, so this, this, this you impact. Can't help yourself, can you, This JJ? impacts Ellen Gallagher. About Aberdeen players. It impacts Ellen Gallagher. Exactly. Because 
uh, Aberdeen, play, they play this man-marking system where they're always man-to-man and man-to-man all over the pitch, not set pieces like an open play, always man-to-man. And McKenna always is drawn out of position to chase a man in, and it's very easy for a good team to do that on purpose and draw McKenna out of position leave his defender on his own. Gallagher does not play in a team that does that, and it causes problems, knock-on effects to everyone else. So I don't think Gallagher should be judged on that Cyprus game, and I thought he was a lot better against Kazakhstan longer they'll get together they might form a partnership please god don't have the two of them together much longer I don't think so I don't think it should be the case either but uh, as a backup it might maybe work there were signs it could work against Kazakhstan but that was Kazakhstan who weren't very good I don't know I mean I I think Gallica deserves a bit of praise this is a guy who spent time in jail for oh yeah praise him for that yeah yeah spent time in jail as a a young guy and has came back and and rose to the, the levels of an international football player fair play to him this is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven and JJ Bull. The title race gets back underway this weekend. Champion Celtic host Livingston on Saturday. New Lennon side were beaten at Livingston just before the last international break in October. Since then, Celtic have won seven in a row in all competitions. For Livingston, it's five games without a win since they beat Celtic. So do we think Livingston don't have a chance? No, <laughs> but you would have you would have said that when Celtic travelled to Livingston. I know that's well random. Type, random things happen, don't they? Well, it's, it's also I think it's a bit different going to Celtic Park compared to to playing at home. Obviously, yeah. As well, course, hockey mentioned the difference in the pitch and stuff. However, no. uh, Livingston are unbeaten against Celtic in three games, not just that two uh, 0 win last month. 2 0 nils last season um, before that. So the last time Celtic beat Livingston was on the first day of the season uh, last season when they still infamously had Kenny Miller in charge. So Celtic don't like Livingston? They don't like Gary Holt. Yeah, it's can't, Gary Holt. Yeah. Can't, Gary Holt, can't yeah. beat Gary Holt. That, that's what it is though. And like after the Rangers game, he was speaking uh, on like, Sports Sound, whatever the radio one is. He seemed really actually affected by the result. They lost 2 0, but it's Rangers. You think that's actually not that bad. But he was really wound up by his players not turning up and pressing the way he wanted them to. I, th- I think where it was the performance to. rather than yeah. the result. Mm. Like, the result didn't seem that bad, but he was really unhappy the way they went about the game. So you might see a bit of a reaction. I do think when we're seeing the difference of playing Celtic home or away, Celtic obviously had a fair number of players away on, uh, on international duty. So whereas Livingston have had these two weeks to, to prepare for things. Celtic might also be missing Ellie Nussi, who was given Player of the Month for October. Um, he had to pull out of the two games for Norway due to a foot injury, I think. So he's uh, doubtful, apparently. But yeah, this sets up a really big stretch of games now for, for Celtic because they're playing every midweek between now and Christmas. I think it's 11 games in 36 days. Mm-hmm. So right up until they play Rangers on the 29th of December, I think. So... Um, play them on the 8th of December in the League Cup Yeah, exactly, final, so. yeah. Now, obviously, some of the pressure's been taken off that number of games by the fact that they're already through in the Europa League, so that's like includes two Europa League games where they might be able to uh, rest and rotate some players. But yeah, it's like a, a big stretch coming up and you would expect that they would uh, kick this off with a win. Celtic possibly going to win this. Possibly? Uh, more than likely going to win Celtic this. Celtic win every it? game they play. <laughs> but yeah, it's never, it's never a team. But look, the, the, the thing for Celtic is that, you know, they play on Saturday, they get three points... We get into the realms of oh the pressure the pressure moves on to Rangers on Sunday. They're going to send a message to Stephen yeah, Gerrard. because the Rangers travel to Hamilton on Sunday. Currently, they're level on points with with Celtic. So Stephen Gerrard's men have won five in a row in all competitions, and this is amazing. They haven't conceded a goal in over seven hours of football. That's in all competitions. That is fantastic. And I know we've said it before, the mentality from last season to this season is staggering. Well, the, th- the thing is, I think in, this, in the as Premiership, it's actually, it's actually a sign of good management that, that that's what's happening. And Stephen Gerrard, as we've said, has, has done very well. The way they're looking this season is great. And you can see like what hope do people have in the, mm-hmm. in the domestic league when you can see how good they are against the likes of Porto and things like that. It's not just Steven Gerrard, though. It's his whole backroom staff. They've got that. Oh, it's the whole team. Yeah, he's assembled uh, a really great team there. Michael Beale's done great things behind the scenes. Gary McAllister, obviously, has had a huge Im- input there as well. And they've got players like, like Alfred Morelos. I think he'll be under a lot of interest, if not proper bids in January, probably from mid-table English clubs. More so now because, you know, his, his disciplinary yeah, record is so yeah, much better than last That's the big season. thing for me, I'd say. Because he he is playing better this season, but he was playing pretty well last season as well. But I still couldn't see the market for him, at least at a price that Rangers would sell at. Because why would you sign someone who 
was getting sent off, you know, almost every other week. Like, he was sent off like five times last season. Yeah. And particularly, given he would be going to one of the bigger European leagues, why would you sign someone like that in a league that's got VAR and therefore he's he would be more likely to... Because <laughs> like, there was a lot of times last season where he didn't get sent off for stuff, which with VAR he probably yeah, would have. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, could have been even point. way more than that. That's so, a terrific point. But the fact he's he's calmed all that down and, and, is, and is still playing as well, if not better... And scoring um, international goals now as well yeah, for exactly. Colombia. But I think the the international goals thing, yes, it is important, but it's not as important as the fact that his Europa League record, I think, is very good because that does show that yeah. it's not just that he's scoring goals in Scotland, he's scoring goals at a, a higher level. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Gerard's been very strong in this thing. He's definitely not going to be sold in January, no matter what, he'll be there. Given the sort of financial results that Rangers released a couple of weeks ago, and they're still making significant losses, if a bid does come in in January, you know, at what level do they do they really start thinking about it? The teams who come in for him know they'll have to pay about at least twenty, I would think, to to try and get him. Maybe twenty five because of the Jan- January window. But a lot of teams need a nine, and a, there's not a lot of good, solid, proven goal scoring nines who can play at European level that are doing it. But, but I mean, we should talk about Hamilton as well, right? Yeah, we've been, we're doing to Hamilton a bit of a disservice here. Yeah, who are going to get pumped? <laughs> <laughs> They're going to set up defensively. They've changed their shape quite a bit this season. The last game they played a diamond against Kamarnik and they had a two-ball draw. Rice he changes the team a lot. I mean, the tactics will be to sit behind the ball in a block, try and slow them down. But Rangers are good at breaking teams down. You've got Ryan Kent back, who makes a difference in these kinds of games. Barisic and his wand of a left foot often create things from that way or score from set pieces there's just so much to it you know how Hamilton are going to set up you, you, you can imagine how Rangers might they've got players who've been away but all the big starters will be there because yeah. you can't take these games lightly they will be taking it as a cliche is every game at a time Hamilton just would be happy with a nil-nil I think the other thing as well we've talked about how much Rangers have improved in their last three visits to Hamilton they've scored five, four and five Back-to-back wins lifted St Johnston off the bottom of the table, but then came a home hammering from Hibs. Up next, the Saints welcome Aberdeen to McDermott Park. Ed Hodge, author of Our Day in May, joins us now. Ed, welcome back to the show. Tell me, has the mood been lifted by those two wins, or was it all taken away by the defeat to Hibs? Yeah, I think the, obviously the back-to-back wins were, were quite a relief because it was certainly not the greatest start to the season. But yeah, I think the, the alarm bells are maybe ringing again with that Hibs performance you know hopefully it was a a one-off after the, the previous two games but um, you know it was purely conceded goals again which has really been the the way the season's gone really you know if we could just tighten up defensively uh, I, th- I think there's a, a nucleus of a really good team there but we've really got to shut the shut the door at the back What do you think's actually missing? Is it is it players or are the ones there not maybe up for the fight? Or, or is it the experience at the back? Well yeah a very young defence yeah, I think it's just a soft, soft centre. You know, I was at the Hamilton game a couple of weeks ago when we won three two. I think we had twenty shots to Hamilton's four, and we're you know we're still trying to struggle to get the win, which we did eventually. But again, that was just a symptom of of a couple of poor goals lost again. So I, I just you know, Jason Kerr maybe just needs maybe to get a little bit of confidence back, and uh, I think an experienced defender would help and and there. But I think we tried to get that in the summer, and it, it didn't work for whatever reason, and. You know, there's talk that we'll do that in January, but I, I, I guess, um, you know, if that if that player had been been in from the from the summer, I think we'd be looking a lot healthier. But um, I guess the young guys though are, will hopefully learn and, and gain experience from what they're going through just now. But I, I think a, an experienced face beside them would definitely help at the moment. Um, Stephen Anderson went out on loan to 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 Wraith, um, and maybe he could have helped just now. Mm. When we spoke last time, you were you. Uh, we're saying about Tommy Wright, and we're discussing whether he'd taken things as far as he could. Brilliant job that he has he has done there. He's obviously been linked with an Northern Ireland job, which is a bit of a strange one in terms of how Michael O'Neill's going to stay on to the playoffs. So even if he got the job, in theory, he could stay on and, and see out the season. Would you be in favour of that happening and him saying staying for the end of the season, even if he was going to move on, or do you think that would kind of leave a leave a cloud hanging over the club? Yeah, I, th- I think. Uh... It could be a little bit tricky. Uh, I, don't, I don't think any St. Johnson supporter would begrudge Tommy the chance of that job. You know, given given what's what's gone previously, and you know the fact he's, you know, I guess many Saints fans thought he might he might have had a you know a different job by now anyway, given the success he's had with us. I mean, on on that note, if he has sort of done as much as he can, do you think it might even be worth considering for St. Johnson to put someone in 
instead of right now. And you look at like Hibs had that bounce of you know they got rid of um, Hicking bottom and managed to beat St Johnston four one. And there's always a chance that St Johnston are getting stuck at the bottom of the table just now. I mean, would, would that be something that you'd take a new manager? Well, I think you still got to be careful what you wish for because I really do think that. Um, with a couple of results, you know, we're suddenly looking at, you know, top six again. Yeah, yeah for sure. There, there's, there's not much between the teams at all, uh, as those back-to-back wins proved. And I, as I said, I think if we just tighten up defensively, I think we will actually kick on, whether that's Tommy or somebody else. Because, to me, midfield to attack is probably the strongest we've been, actually, for, for a number of years. Um, we've always been a solid team and, and, and not conceded goals. And maybe struggled at the other end. And now suddenly we look as though we can score regularly. Um, but we're just leaking a few, uh, which is totally, totally bizarre. To me, if if he if he was to go, then you know the, everybody's talking. You know, who would you want to replace him? But at, at this stage, it's to me, it's not worth talking about it because he's he's still there. I, th- I think sometimes he doesn't get the credit he deserves, and yeah. how he he actually has changed the way the team has played. You know, in previous years, he, they they have been maybe one dimensional at times. But you're absolutely right, Ed. I, I do think they play really good football from midfield to attack, and it is just the defence. And who knows? Maybe St Johnston can bear fruit when this defence get the experience. Are we looking at this period now where this is St Johnston's fourth home game in a row now, Ed? And you've you know you've got. A few good points out of it. Um, the Hibernian game was maybe a bit unfortunate because they obviously got a bit of a bit of a bounce with the sacking of Heckingbottom. Yeah. But after this Aberdeen game that's coming up, you've got three away games, so it's it's almost another important couple of games coming towards you. Yeah, well, I think every game's important right now, given the position we're in. To be totally honest, I actually think we're a better team away from home. Um, that's been proved, I think, over the. The last few years, because we, we used to have you know that solved approach as we've talked about, and we'd hit on the break and, and get results. And I think that's been shown as well at the start of this season when we've gone to Petardry and we've gone to Easter Road and, and got those draws. But obviously, you've got to be tight defensively to get those results. So I'm, I'm not really too bothered about the home away thing because it doesn't really seem to affect us. We, you know, when we, when we tend to have a home banker, we lose, and then when we, <laughs> when we have a tricky one on paper away from home, we'll, we'll invariably get a result. So you know, I'm, I'm going up there this weekend for the, the Aberdeen game. I actually thought the game was Saturday, but I've, <laughs> it's now been moved to Sunday. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad to check that. Uh, so uh, you know, hopefully get a point and, and kick on. But yeah, it's been really frustrating because I think, as as I've said already, there's a lot of really good players there. You know, Stephen May's got a couple of goals under his belt now as well. And if we could just get, it's a bit like the Scotland team at the moment. If we could just get a centre half pairing. I think we could really kick on and push towards that top six. If we look at Aberdeen, guys, only Celtic and Rangers are in better form than them right now. Yeah, that's because they're the third best team in the league. (laughs) They're exactly where they should be. Uh, Because obviously there was a bit of a bad spell for Aberdeen, but three wins on the spin now, four wins in five. It's exactly what it says. It's, it's, I mean, it's so tight. Like with St. Johnston, right? I mean, where are they just sitting just now? They are currently sitting 11th and they are three points off of 7th. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so tight. Aberdeen, 24 points. I mean, the gap is getting ever bigger with Rangers and Celtic and that's not going to change. But um, Aberdeen are getting players back from injury. I was uh, going to ask, like, what's the situation at the moment with that? Uh, I think they're still missing Ojo. The last game against Ross County, you had... Uh, well, Greg Lee's playing in midfield again. That, that does seem to be a thing that's, that's happening at the moment. But that means that the goal scorer, Supreme Andy Considine, gets to play in his left-back role. He scores so many... Well, not so many, but he always seems to come up with a goal. When you don't ex- no one thinks about Andy Considine. No one expects it. But then he's there. If Scottish uh, Premiership had like good fantasy football, he'd be our Lundstrom. Oh. Just, just there. <laughs> there, thereabouts. Exactly. Like fantasy football, I did it this year. The Scottish one. And the first player I put on was Considine. He's just the boy. But yeah, Aberdeen are starting to play nice football. Um, I think it'll get better as the players are back. Having Lewis Ferguson back is huge. Craig Bryson is now fit and ready to play. This international break will really have helped getting things going on the training ground and the team are now at the training ground. So. You, you mentioned um, Ojo. When he comes back, is there a bit of expectation for him to come back with a bit of a bang? Because they spent good money on him, didn't they? Uh, 125k so I don't think so is there not an expectation on him they're just kind of hoping that he does Andrew something Andrew Slavin there's expectation on every player at Aberdeen Football Club <laughs> to perform and he'll be no different but it means you can play um, Greg Lee at left back rather than uh, in midfield and it means Ferguson can get slightly further forward it's only, I only mention it because the papers were all saying oh they've, they've got them away from Hibs and you know they beat competitors for ah, but which papers yeah well yeah yeah 
Just another thing, uh, Ryan Hedges made it into the Wales squad. Yeah. So, you know, even if Scotland don't qualify, you'll have a rooting interest in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. Good point. Uh, yeah, I'll nail him again as well, being the Northern Ireland team when they get through as well. Hedges is meant to be um, from my source at the training ground. Apparently, Hedges really does look like a next level player, and he was one of those that was only managed to be tempted to Aberdeen because of that training ground. It makes a huge difference. In when the you recruitment. say next level, does that mean Rangers are going to buy them <laughs> in the summer or something? Uh, no, but I mean, the, yeah, you'll get a, Rangers linked with an Aberdeen player whenever they play against them. That's what the the media does in Scotland. It's great. I, I met Niall again a couple of weeks ago in a street in Prague. Did you? He was nursing a massive frappuccino. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Whereabouts in Prague? I know it very well. Uh, I was right in the centre because uh, it Vences was the day after uh, the Czech Republic beat England and then they were playing Northern Ireland. That was like on the Friday night and then they were playing Northern Ireland on the Monday, I think it was. Oh. And uh, he was just yeah walking around Prague and filling in his old Northern Ireland gear and everything, so very easy to spot. <laughs> uh, that yeah. is definitely so people know who it is. You reckon? Yeah. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Football pundits who actually understand management, special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games, not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbegambleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Time now for the latest odds with our man Lee Price at Paddy Power. Lee, it's another seven days later and we're still no closer to knowing who the next Hearts manager is. What are the odds saying? Well, there's a new name in the frame. Paddy Power's very own Paul Lintz has come from nowhere to be third in the betting at 9-2. He's behind the favourite for the job, Neil Warnock, and ex-Barnsley boss Daniel Stendhal. Austin McPhee is the same price as Incy, while Stephen Robertson looks like he's staying at Motherwell, touch wood, as he's drifted out to 10-1. to 1. That's almost the same price as John Terry, and that really would be ridiculous. Hebs have got a new manager, Jack Ross has came in. What are the chances of a first home win since the opening day? <laughs> at least we called that manager market right. Hibs are back to winning ways thanks to a hat-trick from Dagenham legend Christian Doidge last time out. Yeah, that's my team. And we do make them favourites here at home to Motherwell, rating their chance of victory at 5-4. to four. The visitors, who've got a great kit by the way, I don't know if that's been mentioned yet, but worth checking out, are 2-1 to one to get the win with the draw 9-4. to four. And Doidge is 100-1 to one to get another hat-trick. Finally, Ross County may be sixth, but it's a long time since they won a game of football. Should they be worried about the drop? Hmm, interesting. Yes, we think maybe they should start to be worried. Uh, their third favourite in our betting to finish bottom of the Scottish Premiership. They're five to one, uh, behind Hamilton at two to one, St Mirren at seven to four, and we don't think their winless run is going to end anytime soon. Even with the relegation six pointer at the weekend, they're eleven to five to win at St Mirren, who are the six to five favourites with the draw rate at a nine to four chance. Dum, 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 dum. It was a big week in League One, with Falkirk sacking manager Ray McKinnon last Saturday. The Bairns were pre-season favourites to win the division, but it's Airdrieonians who are sitting top of the pile right now. Colin Telford from the Only the Lonely podcast joins us now. Colin, are you lonely? (laughs) Uh, Sometimes, sometimes. Especially... Especially in that big main stand at Airdrie, but but what can we do? what's, What's the reason behind the title of the... The uh, only the only and it's an old Roy Orbison song which was adopted by the Airdrie fans for some re- reason unbeknownst to me. Uh, we've got a number of songs, but I think that's the only one that only Airdrie sing. Uh, so it was the title of our fanzine back in the the eighties and nineties. Uh, fanzine was resurrected in twenty fourteen by uh, a fan called Danny Lambie. Um, he's now like yourselves working away down in London, and so the baton's kind of passed to the the podcast. But that's where it comes from. Look, Airdrie are top. Four wins in the spin, but maybe indebted to the goals of Callum Gallagher and Dale Carrick? Yeah, uh, so Dale Carrick has been at Airdrie for about two and a half seasons. I know that he was highly rated and, and really well liked at Hearts, uh, but his career was blighted by injury. He made a, a great start to his Airdrie career, scored a number of goals, 
last season he faltered a bit uh, and the goals dried up but he, he'd been played in a number of positions the, the management changed this season he's been back with a bang and he's, he's always been very popular works very hard and I think could play at a higher level and um, Callum Gallagher we signed from Dumbarton in the summer I think he scored about 17 goals for them last year he's well on track to better that this year he has scored a stunning overhead kick against Clyde some uh, long range effort against Bohemians and, and just a load of goals he looks a really accomplished uh, centre forward and, and we're delighted to have him uh, What do you make of the job that Ian Murray's done he's been charged for about a year now right? Yeah almost exactly a year so when he came in Airdrie were in a bit of disarray he solidified them at the back he put a message out very early on that the squad this year would look very different to how it did last season. Uh, and over the summer, a director of football, Stuart Miller, came in from Schnarr, completely reworked the, the squad, did a great job moving players on and getting transfer fees in, which is hard to do at our level. Football's fickle, and if you'd asked me uh, to come on four weeks ago, I'd be talking about Airdrie fans shouting Green Murray's head, <laughs> comment, comments on Pine Bovril that he was the worst manager going. Um, he's he's turned it around, uh, and Colin Cameron came in and joined four weeks ago. Uh, we're running a hybrid setup where Ian Murray's full time, but he's taking some young players during the day and and more of the first team players and. Uh, two evenings a week. Um, he was doing a lot of that himself, which I think would have been a struggle and having an extra pair of hands has probably helped him. Um, the We've turned around the squad and the players look like improvements kind of now all over the pitch. So um, we're on good form. There's a challenge to maintain it, but he has brought um, better players. I think a level of professionalism, it seems that he likes to do things properly in the training ground and trust that that's going to translate into the, the, the form of the first team squad. Given how much Falkirk were fancied to go up before the season started and given the money they'd spent really, is there a feeling that the title's up for grabs for, for a number of clubs that are near the, the top of League One? There's only three points separating the top four um, or do you still expect that, that Falkirk will come back strong? Yeah, it's interesting that you should mention Falkirk. I was there uh, a fortnight ago and we had, we had a great win. I scored a 93rd-minute winner in front of the, the away fans and it was a great day and it kind of gave us a bit of belief that we might be able to challenge. I mean, Falkirk have got average home attendance above 4,000, which dwarfs anyone in the league. If they use their resources properly, they should win it. But um, I'm quite interested in the appointment that they've made. I think if you're trying to get out of what's a very difficult league, you would maybe look for experience they've gone with a rookie management team I know they're club legends I know that it'll be popular uh, but I can't say that their CV's got the skills to take them up uh, I think it's up for grabs for anyone Dick Campbell's team showed last year that if you can sustain some form you can open up a gap and, and you could do it um, Airdrie fans are excited but Montrose have got the best form in the league over the last six games Ray Throws and East Fife will fancy it too so it's wide open the club are known as the luckiest team in Scotland due to either being promoted or avoiding relegation on three separate occasions due to misfortune of others. Can you just explain that for us? I don't think any Airdrie supporter would agree that we're the luckiest club in Scotland. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, but but uh, yeah, I can give you the background. I mean, uh, I think it's important to remember Airdrieans went into liquidation in 2002. There was a scramble to uh, some local businessmen uh, formed Airdrie United and applied to get back into the Scottish League. Um, that was rejected and we were given the message that teams can't just go through liquidation right off all the dates and, and start again. Uh, and Gretna were admitted into the league. So it's kind of ironic that one of the reasons we stayed up on one of the occasions was that uh, Gretna had gone bust. Gretna had an, an unsustainable model. And um, while it was a great story in Scottish football, it's not necessarily right that they should um, have been able to be successful in that way. So we got away with one. Uh, Livingston also, I think, had gone into administration for uh, maybe the second or third time. They were demoted to League Three. We stayed up again. Uh, and then finally, we all know what happened at Rangers. Ironically, they were allowed to come back into the league at the, the bottom, but that's uh, that's another story. Um, on on each occasion, we failed to capitalise, particularly in the case of the the Rangers relegation or Rangers restarting in the, the third division. Uh, Airdrie, with about four weeks to go, were prepared to compete in what's now League One, and then were dropped into what's now the Championship at very short notice and with a, a squad which wasn't really cut out for it. So we won one home game in the, the entire season. It was a real struggle. 
yes, we're given a chance we didn't capitalise on it. But uh, yeah, it's ironic that the first team to go out of business in a, a very long time were the uh, the team that were able to be benefit from these these other teams' uh, misfortunes. Um, unfortunately, we never capitalised on on any of them. You haven't asked me about the the big clash of the weekend. It's uh, Albion Rovers versus Edge in the Scottish Cup. Known locally as El Buck Fastico. Oh, <laughs> that is brilliant. <laughs> uh, local bragging rights are, are at stake. Anybody who's a ground top or a, doesn't have a game to sat, uh, on Saturday to go to uh, Clifton Hill will be will be rocking. It's it's always atmospheric. Uh, bragging rights at stake. It, it'd be a good game to go along. It's only twelve quid to get in. Um, so so get yourself along to Clifton Hill. Fantastic, I love that Buck Fastico I was going to say For 15 quid You get your ticket And your bottle of Bucky As you go in <laughs> Fantastic, <laughs> yeah Decent That is Scottish football At its best Well elsewhere In the third round Of the Scottish Cup This weekend Falkirk Travelled to Linlithgow Rose Tonight That's their new management team As well Yeah, exactly Lee Miller and David McCracken Yeah, exactly man Advertise for the job On Twitter For Falkirk <laughs> You can apply for the manager's job From a link on Twitter Well, I, th- I think it's, a, it's an interesting appointment I'm going to swiftly move on because I want to talk about the Queen's Derby. Uh, <laughs> Queen of the South host Queen's Park, who are now a newly professional Queen's Park, that is. They play on Saturday. And then junior side Auchinleck Talbot, who reached the last 16 last year, take on our broth Talbot the Giant Killers. Will they be in the last 16 again? Maybe. <laughs> Perhaps. Well, Hearts were Scottish Cup finalists last season. And as we've just heard, Paul Ince is up there for the Jambos job. And I would struggle to read that too, because why is Paul in? Yeah, <laughs> think for the Hearts job. Ince hasn't managed in six years, almost six years. Kieran, tell us about Paul Ince. I'm just, I'm just confused by it all. Wait, what's even worse is that Neil Warnock is apparently the favourite. <laughs> He'd be a great choice, I think. Uh, Neil yeah. Warnock is the wind-up person's choice. Can, can you yeah. imagine, like, Neil Warnock in Scottish football would just be... Yeah. Yeah. Band it's, it's levels off the scale. <laughs> it's a match made in heaven, but I don't think I don't know if Hearts fans At would club, be that pleased. With Hearts resources in that league, I think he would get them put like punching above where they should be. Some of the behind the scenes clips you see of him and interviews I've read with him, like he, like he knows what he's talking about. He knows how to coach a team. And Scottish football often, if you just make your team hard to beat and and kind of nasty, you'll do really well. And I think that's exactly what he'd instill in that team. And his recruitment would be good because he's got a huge network. Well, we all know that the the biggest issue Hearts have had is, is their injuries. But just to mention, I'll rattle off a few other names that that are in the in the contest. Um, <laughs> Daniel Stendel is up there. Um, he was obviously sacked by Barnsley. Obviously. Um, obviously. <laughs> obviously. We, I, mean, I knew we, all of Daniel Stendel before I heard his name exactly. mentioned. Well, the reason I know of him, uh, could we, uh, does that mean we can get Joey Barton back to Scottish football as well? Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But look, Stendel took them up to the Championship and he's only full season in charge. Um, a long but, career but, in the Bundesliga you know, as well. He's, like, he's, he's probably still negotiating his what, severance package. What I would think so about that this, might yeah, Stendhal though, which would make more sense, much more sense than than Warnock or even Ince really, is that Hearts have talked about how they want to hire a like sporting director before they hire the manager. Mm-hmm. So that to me does make sense because the whole idea of having a sporting director is that you have someone there who's who's more permanent than the manager that is that is looking after the club for the long term and not just the manager who's more concentrated on results on a more sort of week to week basis. I'm not convinced that Warnock would particularly like working with a a sporting director. He seems like you know he's very Brexity. He's very you know old old English football man. Whereas Stendhal, coming from the Bundesliga, has you know probably had more experience with that and been more open to working in that kind of structure. Do you think Austin McPhee is the man for the sporting director role? There's been talk about that um, because they he's highly thought of within the club. But they don't think they can give him the the manager's job because he's he's, he's too linked to the Levine era. Also, um, he's quite young. But I was thinking this the other day, right? He's young, but then see if you have like a, a young up and coming uh, hotshot director of football who every club wants, and they're you know they're forty two and they're like, oh, he's got good experience already, and he's a great he's going he's going to be great. We should get him because he's young and he'll be, he'll be great. Well, Ultimate Fiend might be that. We've got to give him the job first for him to get there in the first place. But I also feel like. I mean, we don't know exactly how much influence he had, right? But he he has been there all through the Levine era, right? And a big part of the problem with Levine's time there has been the recruitment. So 
I mean, either they're kind of saying he was there but had no influence. Um, I mean, the recruitment at Hearts has been terrible for ages. Cathro's buys were terrible. Exactly. And, but, and, and Austin McPhee was there at that point as well. But I mean, Cathro took a lot of a credit for all the... But that's the, the thing. Is that, so basically, are they saying that like we believe in Austin McPhee, even though he's clearly had no influence in our signing policy before, which would kind of yeah. be weird, or the higher room knowing that he's had a, a part to play in a recruitment policy that hasn't been going very well. Like, are Hearts going big enough here? With their search. Pochettino's Why free. don't they yeah. go for Pochettino? <laughs> Mauricio, you're free. Come to Scotland. It's lovely. You'll love it. It's so warm. <laughs> He'd like a whole uh, role in charge of the whole I thing do, as I well. do wonder sometimes why, why managers don't just go, screw it, I've got tons of money, let's just go somewhere a bit more interesting. We should talk about Kilmarnock because that's where hearts travel on Saturday. Kilmarnock have obviously brought in former player James Fowler as their new head of football operations. He was previously assistant manager to Jack Ross at Sunderland and St Mirren. Is this a clever appointment? Well, you can see the classic, he knows the club, so it might be quite good. He was quite highly rated when he was younger. Yeah. Like, people thought he was going to go into be something special. I mean, it didn't really happen for him. They must think highly of him if they've put him into that position he must have interviewed well and he must have some good ideas so let's assume he's great well he's there he's there to support the whole football aspect of things and obviously his understanding of the of the league um is going to prove quite helpful to Angelo Alessio who's kind of new to this level of football probably because he's managed or he's coached at a no, seriously exactly. high I, level I think that's the, the the because Scottish clubs are kind of quite often working in a different environment totally financially to to the bigger leagues really so to have someone there that not only knows the club knows the leagues knows the budget restrictions that the Kamarok are looking are working under and you know where to search to get the best value for money and those type of things because he knows the club will then know the academy structure which is another big part of a, a head of football's job is to make sure that you know everything is working well in the in the academy they've got the right sc- scouting in place not only for the first team but also for the academy so from all that point of view, it kind of makes sense as a joined-up appointment. Looking at the football side of things, Kilmarnock staring at three defeats in a row, 2-0 down at home to Hamilton before managing to rescue a point. Why is it maybe taking a bit of a dip for Kilmarnock of late? Because they're about as good as a t- upper mid-table side is. They'll win some, they'll lose some. They're working under a new coach now, so sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't. They don't have a great goal scorer. Even Brophy's not, you know, not going to score them 20 goals a season they don't create an awful lot of chances but they're they're solid enough they've got some decent players Gary Dicker for one we'll finish off then uh, by talking about St Mirren against Ross County um, three defeats in a row for St Mirren which have proven costly they've slipped to the bottom of the table the buddies of the fifth best defence but they also have the worst attack just seven goals scored in 12 games that's bad um, yeah but last time out of Hearts they were pumped for the first time this season 5-2 Goodwin, Jim Goodwin, that is, and continue saying first and second names the whole time. Um, Jim Goodwin's got to be a bit nervous about how the next couple of games are going to be happening because they're just not scoring enough goals. And as much as he's got strikers that can get in good positions, they're not clinical enough. Yeah, I think that the, the big concern for him would be because prior to the Hearts game, it was 11 goals conceded in 11 games, which is very good for a, a team like Samirn. Now, the Hearts game, they went completely out the window um, and although they, it's, it's kind of an eternal balance that managers look for that we've spoken about St Mirren before right? so before the Hearts game every game they were playing in was quite tight there was only like one goal in it mm-hmm. they weren't very expansive they weren't really taking risks in possession then you try and be a bit more attacking be a bit more progressive and then the whole sort of structure falls apart. So do you then go back to square one, then go back to just trying grinding out results? And when you look at a game like this weekend, I mean, Ross County are sixth, but there's only six points between St Mirren and, and Ross County. So a win and a very winnable fixture for St Mirren, you know, makes the whole thing seem very different. At the moment, the bottom of the table, coming off a, a five-goal drubbing from a team that wasn't in form, and it all looks a bit doom and gloom. This is one of those games you could tell me any score, and I would believe it, could happen. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea how this would go. It's one of those because it's almost a good game for both clubs because even Ross County haven't won since the 21st of September 
and and this is they're still sitting sixth on the table. It's hard for a team that might be difficult to break down, but if you're not bearing any fruit out of it, your confidence can just dip you so quickly. You love bearing fruit yeah. today. Have I said bearing fruit twice? Yeah. Three times, I think, now. I'm hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm hungry. Uh, the problem St. Mirren have got is that they don't have very good players, and there's only so much a manager can do with with what's there. I think Goodwin, Jim Goodwin, <laughs> has uh, set them up well, and they just aren't beating teams. Ross County are letting in heaps of goals, so this could be a game where like Danny Mullen fills his boots... His proverbial football boots. They've got the joint worst defence in the division. Yeah. 28 goals conceded. And they see them in bursts as well. So you just, as long as you get like a, if you go at them for a good 15, 20 minutes. Maybe it's going to be quite a good game to watch this. <laughs> the thing with St. Mirren, I'm saying, it's going to be a big period for uh, for all the teams because because of the winter break. We In Scotland, we have like a ludicrous number of fixtures in November, December, after this international break. So, before Christmas, they play Ross County, Hibs, Aberdeen, for us, was more difficult. Um, Motherwell, Hamilton, Livingston, St. Johnston. So that is like a good bunch of fixtures where they really have to try and pick up as many points as possible. Because then after that, after Christmas, they play Celtic, Kilmarnock, Rangers and Aberdeen again. So like, if they don't pick up points in the next two or three games, you could get to a situation where you see them being sort of cut adrift at the bottom. See, I bet they uh, will end up getting points out of Rangers or Aberdeen or something like that. Because they might raise their game for the... Not even that, it's just one of those weird things where it's like, oh, it's St Mirren, they'll be fine. And then they're not, because they managed to get a random goal and hold on to it, and they play against 10 men or something like that. I mean, at the start of the season, we said that the worst team in the league is probably St Mirren, right? And that is proven to be the case. Well, let's see if they can bear some fruit, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) That's all we've got time for. Thank you, Mr JJ. Thank you. Thank to you, you, Mr. Kieran. Uh, thanks to the Little Kicks as well for our little theme song. And um, mostly thank you to the wonderful producer we have, Charlie Jones, for making this show possible and cutting out all of our bollocks. And um, we'll be back next Friday after Rangers have maybe joined Celtic in the knockout stages of the Europa League. You've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddynewsmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Totally Football Show.com.